The Bootsy Show, The Bootsy Show. We'll talk a little while and share a cup of joe. So tell all your friends wherever you go. Tune into the Charlie Boots Show. That's the Charlie Boots Show. And welcome back to the Charlie Boot Show, folks. We are coming off our WrestleMania Spectacular, where we just released five new episodes of the podcast with five WWE Hall of Famers. And now we're headed back to the gridiron with NFL legend Conrad Dobler, the man that Sports Illustrated magazine named the dirtiest player in the NFL. And I'd like to send a big thank you to Oakland Raiders legend, the Jersey boy, Phil Villapiano and Gary Brown of the Jersey Shore Booster Club for setting this one up. And folks, if you head on over to charliebootshow.com or you check out the show on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, you can listen to our previous episodes featuring legends like Doc Gooden, Johnny Bench, Tom Flores, and Dick Anderson, to name a few. You'll also see when you log on to charliebootshow.com our flavor episodes. Flavors are food show that I host, and uh, last week we were at Marlin Park for MLB opening day. We tried this turkey place called Jive Turkeys. You gotta check this out. They had the big two pound Louisville Slugger side turkey drumsticks, and they made all types of different foods with it. And we have that over there on Flavor. If there are any guests that you'd like to see brought to the show, sports stars, entertainers, or just interesting people, or any restaurants you'd like to recommend, right there on charliebootshow.com. Just click contact, shoot a message over, and I'll receive it. And don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube, add me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter so that we're connected all over the place. I want to see you even when you're sleeping. The NFL teams have officially reported to training camp, so it's almost time to get this new season started. And we're going to get this one started off with a lot of pop. One of the hardest-hitting guys the league has seen, and the man that many would call the dirtiest and toughest guy to step on the gridiron. Here's an episode I've been wanting to bring you guys a while. The great Conrad Dobler. I'm your host, Charlie Boots, and you are tuned into the Charlie Boots Show right here on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Now let's get into it with Conrad Dobler. Mr. Conrad Dobler. Conrad, how are you? I'm doing fine. Doing fine. Man, let's take it let's take it back to when it all started for you. What was the first sport that really grabbed your heart? Oh, you know, I as a kid I kind of played in a lot of different sports. Uh, my folks owned an institutional distributorship for food and meats and things of that nature, so uh, the reason I got into sports, uh, I went to a Catholic uh, grade school, and my eighth grade graduating class was eight students. So uh, when I got to high school, uh, we were kind of like the Amish coming to a school. We were the only eight people in town that hadn't grown up with the rest of the kids, and we lived kind of out, out of town a little bit. And all we did was work on loading trucks and loading trucks. And uh, so I, I kind of got into sports out of laziness. I, I figured if I went into sports and had to stay after school and practice football or basketball or track, whatever I was participating in, I wouldn't have to go home and unload those trucks. It didn't work out the way I planned because my dad just left them there until I got home from practice. <laughs> <laughs> Get that post workout. But, it, uh, you know, so I participated in sports, and I kind of participated in sports to, um, to you know, go along with the uh, the crowd that has gone to, gone to school together for eight years before, you know, we came in. These, these eight students that went to the Catholic school came in as uh, – it's kind of outsiders, so um, 
kind of like an acceptance type thing, and you know, playing sports was a, a good a good thing to do. And loading those trucks and unloading them, I was pretty strong for my age. Wow. Was your pops big time into sports? Uh, my dad, uh, he played sports in, in high school and stuff. And uh, in fact, he would have certainly played it in college if he hadn't flunked English uh, in his senior year. Or so he actually really never even got a degree, but. Uh, he, uh, kind of, uh, was amazing. I, I didn't really know. He just worked all the time. We had seven kids. My mother worked on the trucks and my dad worked too. And, but you want to know what was amazing? He never missed a game. I mean, the guy would work 16 hours and still come to a game. And how he did that, I'll, I'll never know. But God bless him. Uh, it was nice to see my parents there all the time. Absolutely. And how many, where did you fall with the seven kids? What number were you? Right in the middle. I had, Three older and three younger, so I could fight with everybody. <laughs> You're getting beat up on everyone, folks. Yeah, well, absolutely. <laughs> oh man! So, so do you remember when that that letter came from University of Wyoming? That had to be a proud day for the family. Well, you know, I, w- I was very fortunate because uh, I had a high school football coach, and you know, these universities they they really don't scout people. They have to have some people recommend that they look at these people. He sent so many letters out. I make you bet I had 21 full rides, but they were some from some Occidental College, a lot from California schools, Riverside, uh, and things of that nature. And in the WAC, I had it from Arizona, Arizona State, and also the University of Wyoming. And Wyoming had just gotten back from the Sugar Bowl, and I figured, well, if I'm going to go to, I discounted all the California schools because I had a girlfriend that I thought I was in love with. Well, I was in love with her. Unfortunately, she didn't love me as much because the minute she put some separation between, she found a new boyfriend. <laughs> so <laughs> I ended up going. I ended up going to the University of Wyoming because they had just gotten back from the Sugar Bowl, and and then all of a sudden uh, we had some problems at the University of Wyoming. My sophomore year uh, was called the Black Fourteen incident, where the, the black players on the team certainly wanted to wear black armbands uh, during uh, the game, and the coach wouldn't allow them when we got ready to play Brigham Young University. And they showed up uh, for the game with black armbands on. He said, "Don't bother getting dressed because you've all been kicked off the team." Whoa! Well, there was some, there was some very good good athletes in that. It, it certainly helped. Uh, certainly, you know, hurt our recruiting in the sense for the uh, years following to recruit good good players. I mean, and uh, players of color. Uh, so we went through um, my senior year. We only won four games. Uh, we should have certainly. We would have probably won a lot more as freshmen. We never we beat Colorado twice as freshmen, and we beat Colorado State, and we beat everyone. We were a, a wild group of of wild men, and boy, by the time I graduated, out of those eighty five freshmen we had, there was nine of us left. Wow! And then, you know, and I guess that's why you were slept on, you know, with the draft. Like, uh, you know, a lot of people felt, man, you know, obviously looking back, this guy should have been way, way up front. Now, do you think that that's, that's a big reason that, that so many people doubted it coming out of college? You know, I, to tell you the truth, <laughs> this is really crazy. I didn't even know the draft was going on. I had, no, you know, no one ever Get talked to me about that. Yeah, no one ever talked to me about that. I, you know, I was kind of in my own world, loading trucks and unloading trucks and going to school and practicing. And the only reason I went out for football was I didn't have to go home and unload trucks. Uh, so, uh, I was, uh, you know, when I got drafted I, by the Cardinals, I was wondering, to tell you the truth, why a baseball team would draft me, since I never played baseball. But, then someone said, listen, they actually have a football team called the Cardinals, too. And being from Chicago, my my folks were from Chicago, they said, yeah, they used to be the Chicago Cardinals, not the St. Louis Cardinals. So, I had gotten that in the mail, and I figured, well, you know, I really don't have a lot planned here, so I guess I'll just, uh, 
uh, go to the University of Wyoming and play football. And I'll put some distance between my girlfriend and I, and if it works out, we'll get married. Well, you know that. It's 18 years old. You have a girlfriend. You put some distance. It ain't going to work out. <laughs> see you later. I'll be in Wyoming. Yeah. She said, see you later immediately. And uh, and uh, so I figured, well, maybe I should start uh, going out, too. <laughs> She dumped me. We all got we all got the brown helmet award as uh, as uh, high school students. We all got dumped on one time or another. So it made us you know made us better men. Oh man! And now like and then you see you put in legendary years there in St. Louis. You're a St. Louis card seventy two seventy seven. So what is the deal with St. Louis football? We always hear it's a baseball town. How how was it experiencing football in St. Louis? Well, it was kind of it was kind of unique. I never really followed baseball all that much, and and it's like any other thing you would like to put on. Any any you know, if if you're successful at it, people will come. And when I first got there, we only went four and nine, so we weren't very good. And we went four and nine the next year with uh, Coach Coriel. And after that, when Coach Coriel came in, we started winning. We packed the stadium. People like following a winner. They're not too concerned about losers. And sharing the name with the uh, baseball Cardinals, well, you know, they have a tremendous tradition uh, of, of baseball. So, you know, I, I didn't think too much about it. I thought, well, that's that's pretty neat that we have baseball pl- baseball team by the Cardinals and a football team by the Cardinals. And, of course, Bill Bidwell, the owner of the Cardinals, wasn't as... Uh, as um, what would you say? As accepted as a owner should have been in St. Louis, he was kind of basically he was very boring. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you got a primetime show at the Cardinals who've been there so long. You're right, you got it right. And you know, he had to fight that and stuff too. But he was just, you know, when he told you how how he felt for the day, that was about the extent of his conversation. I don't think I had a conversation with Bill Bidwell longer than two minutes. And that would have been too long. <laughs> and then it's bid farewell. <laughs> yeah, he would have been he would have been bored to death with me by the, the end of two minutes. Oh my god! Well, you know no, he was a short, no. fat, duppy guy, and he probably went to private schools, and they probably beat up on him and shoved them in toilets and showers and stuff. So he probably didn't like athletes that much, but he didn't mind making the money that we produced for him. <laughs> the, oh my god! Uh, that's that's just re- that's reality, and I think that, that that might still be true with some teams around the league in regards to the owners. Oh yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure some of these owners get there and say, "Hey, you know, you guys were getting the good-looking girls in high school and stuff, and I was left with the leftovers and stuff, but now it's my turn." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure if, if I had been one of those guys that were you know that were kind of abused by football players and or not accepted by them while I was in high school, hell, I would have done the same thing. I would have had a. Oh. It would have been. It would have been a high priority for me to, you know, embarrass them and cut them and fire them and and do whatever I had to do to uh, let them know that hey, there's a new boss in town and it's that wimpy little kid you guys used to push around. Everybody develops a different chips and, and different edges, and and you had one of the most you know legendary chips on your shoulder when you were there on the gridiron. And I mean, in, you know, in life and in, in regards to success, where did that chip come from? Well, you know, I, I think the chip actually came from, and I don't even know if it was a chip. I think it was more of a fear of failure. You know, when I mm-hmm. um, uh, certainly got there, and as a rookie, you're not really accepted anyways by the veterans because they know as a rookie, if, if you're making stuff, you're going to take a veteran's job. Uh, so um, I just went out there and did my thing, knowing that and kind of kept to myself realizing that, you know, I'm not going to be accepted and stuff like that, but I fought everyone every single day at practice. I just didn't take any bulls from anyone, and, 
you know, at the end of practice and during two days and stuff, most of the players would go out and have a beer or go out and, you know, chase women and stuff like that. Hell, I had to go to my dorm room and rest because I knew the next day would be another big Donnybrook with the defensive <laughs> lineman. wasn't really well liked by the defensive lineman, but the offensive lineman liked me because when I got into these fights, they would, you know, they had to, they, they got to stand around and do nothing. <laughs> you know, they got the rest. <laughs> they said, that's fine. In fact, Deardorff used to egg me out. I, I wouldn't take that from that guy. I'd punch him in the mouth, you know. <laughs> and all of a sudden I realized that they were just get, trying to get me in a fight so they didn't have to work. <laughs> get Dobler, send Dobler in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was the way practice was, and I fought every single day. And then, uh, you know, then when I uh, ended up getting the, uh, and of course Chuck Hutchison was drafted from Ohio State, and, and he was a, uh, the year before, and he was a second-round draft choice, so he was a high pick. And he had gotten hurt, and uh, so I automatically got the position as a starter, you know, through default. You know, so I had to prove myself out there. And what was really difficult about it, we only won four games that year. Uh, but, you know, kind of an old saying they used to have in the NFL, you can't lose your position through injury. So the following year when we came back, we had a new coach in Don Coriel. And, of course, I was designated the second string. And Chuck Hutchison won in there right as the first string, uh, first string offensive lineman. And uh, I kind of got my dauber down. I felt pretty bad about it. And Jim Hannafin, who was the offensive line coach, told me to keep it up. The first chance he gets, he'll get me in. Well, like I said, Chuck Hutchison was an, uh, from Ohio State, a second-round draft choice. He wasn't making any mistakes. So there was the, the window for me getting in there and showing him what I could do was kind of closing. And what was kind of bad about it, I had played with the other four guys, Tom Banks, Dan Durdorf, Bob Young, Ernie McMillan, the year before. I was part of that group. And now I was designated as second string, and it, it, that was difficult. But lo and behold, uh, Chuck Hutchinson was getting ready for a scrimmage uh, against the team at training camp. And touch, and we, you know, usually get the ball on the 50-yard line, and you know, you run 10 or 15 plays, and we got the flip, we won the flip, so we got the ball first, and the first team offense went out there and got into their huddle, and Chuck Hutchinson came running back to the sidelines and saying, "Hey, does anyone have a chin strap? I've lost my chin strap." And Hannafin said, we don't have time for this BS. Get in there, Dobler. And you know, he wow. never walked on the field again. And to this day, wow. I carry an extra chin strap in my briefcase. I have one right now in my briefcase. Just to remind me that the little things in life certainly can change your life. Wow. So as the young kid walking out there, and then you're, you're, you're facing this type of challenge where you're saying, damn, I, you know, I know I have the talent, but I'm just not getting the opportunity. What do you say to the guys who are, who are right now in that position, whether they're in college or they're in the pros trying to make the squad? What do you tell them to keep the faith? Boy, that, that's, that's tough to tell them. You know, as, as most coaches say, uh, you know, keep your dauber up. Uh, first chance I get to get you in, I'll get you in. Fortunately, if you're fortunate enough to get in, you got to be, you better be prepared when you go in. And as I said, you know, preparation, the six P's, proper preparation prevents piss poor performance. Uh, <laughs> that is, it's important that you know what to do. And if you get in, you better not screw up because you don't get that many chances. And once you get in, you, you, you better give it your best, uh, and not make any mistakes. I mean, because mistakes will kill a team and the coaches, you know, they, they all, I've had coaches before, changed the snap count on me without telling me so it would jump off and i would just look at him thinking what an ass this guy is why would you do that you know what i'm saying 
And why why do you think just to just to have you looking bad? Well, because he liked veterans on the offensive line, and I was kind of a rookie. I don't know why he did it. He was, he, but no wow. one really liked him. I, I just liked him more than anyone else. But you know, so I made sure I was always prepared. You know, and trust what me, if, if if he was standing by a drill and he got caught up in the drill, I, you know, I certainly took a shot at him. <laughs> You, Conrad, I think I think you're lucky you played before the age of the cell phone because we we would have had some great uh, great footage. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, that's probably true. That's probably true. Hey, you know, and and Deardorff and Banks and Bob Young, I think sometimes oh. they egg me on or egg the defensive guy on to take a swing at me so they could take a break. Like I said, I was oh exhausted God. after these practices, man. They they felt pretty good. You know, normally double D's or something you don't fear, you, you you smile about, but you got the Deerdorf and Dobler combo. What was what did what kind of advice did, did he give you when you came in or throughout your time playing together that you carry with you through life? Well, you know, the thing is we um they they kind of had to accept me, you know, as a rookie playing with them. And, of, of course, Durdorf's in the Hall of Fame. And to tell you the truth, as a rookie, I didn't spend a lot of time with them. I always thought they were trying to set me up for something, you know. Mm. So I, I kind of kept my distance and just did what I had to do when I went out there and, and played in the games and actually did a good job in the field. And I guess they, they appreciated that. Uh, and then when they changed the coaches with uh, Don Coryell coming in the second year, uh, it was all a new ball game. So I had to go through the same fights every day as I did the first year uh, to prove that I belonged there. You know, I, I went to Wyoming where Tom Banks went to Auburn and, and Dan Durdorf went to Michigan and Bob Young went to Texas. So, you know, Wyoming, what, what the hell is Wyoming? All they got is sheep and horses out there. So, uh, you know, I certainly had to uh, uh, prove myself that, uh, you know, I might have gone to the University of Wyoming, but we played football up there, and we played a rugged brand of football, and, you know, I certainly want to be accepted. And they finally accepted me and brought me into their crown. To this day, uh, Tom Banks and Dan Deardorff and I, or Bobby Young has passed away, have been, uh, and so has uh, Roger Finney, who replaced Ernie McMillan. Uh, he's passed away also, but uh, the three of us left, we still talk on our birthdays and other times, or... If we're just feeling bad or just say, hey, I want to call him and say hello, I just talked to Tom Banks this morning, in fact. What, what, what kind of feedback did they give you when that when that Sports Illustrated iconic cover drops with your mug on it and it says, the nastiest man in pro football? No, it's, you know, of course you got to be abused by it. They're not going to accept that, you know. They, they, you know, <laughs> they certainly abused me by it. And because I wasn't that interested in sports growing up and things, uh, I didn't think I'd been on other co- cover of other magazines, other periodicals, on newspapers and stuff like that. I didn't think it was a big thing, you know. And they were trying to, you know, trying to tell me how big that actually was. And uh, I never thought it was all. I just thought it was another, another rag newspaper putting a picture on the cover. I didn't, you know, I didn't really read Sports Illustrated. I never even bought one before then. Was it more of a target on your back after that came out? Oh, you know, that that is true. That, that There was a target when I took the field. Trust me, everyone wants to take the giant out, you know. And, uh, and I, <laughs> I, every time I got done with a game, like I said, people would go out and party and stuff. Hell, I had to go home and rest. You know, I said, my God, it's a jungle. There wasn't many places to hide between those white lines when you get out there in the field. So I figured, you know, you can either be the hitter or the hitty. So I figured I wanted to be the hitter. 
Absolutely. So, so what one was cool for you? If the if the magazines, you know, didn't impress you that much, when you got that beer commercial, the Miller Lite commercial, that you had to be pumped about that. Oh yeah, I love that. Besides that, they paid me too. So that that was yeah. you know, that was actually very very good. Uh, they paid me, and and they also paid me twenty five hundred dollars a day when I went out with different distributors and and drank beer at different bars and stuff with them. So I figured I was you know trained a lot of years for drinking beer at bars, so I figured I was well qualified for that. And uh, that was really really nice to get that. I I really enjoyed that. Uh, some national publicity and things of that nature with the Miller Lite ad, and I worked with them for a number of years, probably about uh, eight or nine years and. 10 years, and I used to always send two cases of beer to my house every month, and I missed that part of it. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't get the two cases anymore, but uh, I do miss that part. The nice thing about it, I was always giving beer away to my friends and stuff because uh, I, I didn't go home and drink beer every night. Hell, I, I have six kids and stuff. I was I was kind of busy and things of that nature, but uh, that was very exciting, really, to actually do a national commercial like that and, and the cover of Sports Illustrated. Those are all things that... Uh, some people would say, wow, that is really, really amazing that all that stuff happened to you. And looking back, I guess it is pretty amazing, even though at that time I didn't know enough, enough about television and publicity or, or Sports Illustrated that it was such a big deal. I thought, ah, it's just another magazine putting my picture on it. You know, now I'm certainly, I look back at it and I say, my God, I didn't realize how big that actually was. Oh, yeah. And a stud, folks. You know, you got the, the toughest guy on the field, a stud, that, that the iconic, the beautiful handlebar mustache, looking like a young Burt Reynolds out there. Did did you get a lot of Hollywood offers back then for movies and stuff like that? Well, like that? no, not, you know, not a lot. And I, and I also knew that the people that in Hollywood and stuff, uh, you know, I didn't get as many Hollywood offers. I think I was too good looking to be a bad guy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> 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 my you had to be a bad guy. I think I was way too good looking to be a bad guy. You know, I didn't look like Dick Buckus or or um, or, or the other guys that have, have done stuff in Hollywood. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought I, I certainly should have, but I wasn't picking the people. And, and it's, uh, hey, even doing the commercial was tough, you know, because, you know, there's a certain amount of acting in it. And you, you would, you would certainly think that, uh, Eddie can go out there and act. But let me tell, let me tell the folks, acting, you know, you can all appreciate those people because it's a difficult job. They're very good at what they do. You just dropped a timeless line. I was too good looking for Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's true. I bet if you if you take my books and compare it and, and compare it to the to the the, the the nomenclature, the tag I had attached me to the dirtiest player in the NFL, and I'm too good looking to be the dirtiest player in the NFL. I mean, come on, man. What are they going to do? That advertise we got the dirtiest player in the NFL playing in this movie, and all of a sudden I come out and they're going, "That's a damn good looking man there." <laughs> I love it. Oh man. Yeah, I'm telling you, twenty eighteen we would have had you we would have had you booked as James Bond. Are you kidding me? Yeah, well absolutely. You know. I couldn't have been one of James Bond's uh, uh victims or, you know, one of the bad guys because I'm too good looking to be a bad guy. I gotta be a white knight. <laughs> oh my god. So like how how is it for you, man? Because you you know, you had just ruthless aggression out there and that's something people people do say they miss from the league now. Do you watch the current NFL and, and what are your thoughts on all the new rules? I, I watch the playoff games and things of like that nature. I don't get too concerned about the uh, regular season games and stuff, but you know, it has gotten to the point to where you know, uh, as the owners would say, they're trying to make the game safer. And they are with a lot of rules and regulations that they put into the game. But, you know, let's be serious about it. 
The only reason they want to make the game safer is not because they have the concern of the players involved. It's because they don't want anyone to get hurt where they may have to pay workers' compensation until the guy dies. It all goes back to money. And that's the reason they don't want people to get hurt or or get crippled or or that. It's not because they have the... The, the, they they have this great feeling for the players. They have no feeling for the players. It's about the pocketbook. Right. And and something that doled out a lot of feelings to different NFL players was the clubbed arm of Dobler. I did have a broken finger. You know, they and I had I had um, I had a broken um, you know finger, and they they had pins in it, so I had to wear that club on there. And oh. of course, uh, it was uh, it left an impression on a few defensive linemen. It's a Louisville slugger, folks. Yeah, it, it it worked quite well. You know, I would remember when they'd run a tackle tackle game where my guy would go first, and I'd push him to the center. The other tackle that was over the other guard would come looping around, and I'd just be waiting for him. And I'd you get that old cast wound up, and he'd see me put the brakes on, he'd fall backwards. And I went, I didn't even get a chance to hit him. <laughs> <laughs> Clothesline. Did you have a? Do you have a favorite? Since you didn't weren't much of a sports fan growing up, do you have a favorite boxer or wrestler or fighter you used to admire? No, not not really, because you know where I grew up, we only got one channel, and it was snowy to begin with. Anyways, I remember <laughs> when we got Bonanza. My dad just said, "Well, wouldn't it be beautiful in color?" Well, it would be beautiful in color if you weren't so cheap and you bought us a color TV. But <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we didn't have a lot of that, but I'll tell you what, I, I do like uh, watching the boxing and uh, and the pugilistic type sports today. It's uh, kind of interesting. That is the, the true mark of a man that, you know, when you get done, it's if you lose, you lost, not the team, you lost. That's, mm-hmm. that's a tough thing to have to deal with, you know, at least at least when you're on a, a sports team like the NFL, there's, there's 10 other guys on the field with you can say, ah, well, I did my part. We We just came up a little short. But in boxing or wrestling, I mean, when you lose, it's you. That's it. That is so true. There's no one you can really turn to and look at it. It really is just self-reflection. That's got to be the hardest uh, loss to get over in sports. You can't say if that guy would have kept his feet for two more yards, we would have had the first down, we'd have won the guy. If that guy had caught the pass in the end zone, we would have won. If that guy hadn't missed a field goal, well, when you're an individual out there like a golfer or a boxer or even a wrestler, Hey, you have no one to blame it on. That's deep. That's, that's very true. Now, a guy who you're buddies with and, and big, big love from the show, Phil Villapiano, he was on, and uh, and you guys, two of, the, two of the roughest and two of the biggest characters the NFL's ever seen. And he was talking about how he hates the idea of in training camp, you know, there's only really a week to train and the guys can't hit each other. He thinks that that will cause more injury. Do you have any opinion on that? Well, yeah, I, I think, you know... There was an old saying, and I don't know if I liked it when I, w- I was playing, but it's actually true. You know, the thing is, you know, you can you can go through the X's and O's. You can go through walk-in drills, like who do you get? You can point to this guy and you can point to that guy. But there's certain things you have to get into hitting shape. And that means you've got to get to the point where you've hit, 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 and you beat your body up to where it doesn't hurt anymore when you get that forearm. It doesn't hurt anymore when you run your helmet through a guy's chin and stuff. Because you're used to the, you know, your pain threshold has actually increased quite a bit. You know, so you gotta, you know, in, in, in the NFL, you gotta get into hitting shape. And I think at the beginning of the season, they're not. They, they really don't get into hitting shape until probably after the third or fourth game of the season. You gotta get yeah. used to taking those hits. You gotta get used to being leg whipped. You gotta get, you know, 
you know, those bumps and bruises, uh, once you get the bumps and bruises, it doesn't hurt anymore once you get another one. You know, it's just another, it's just another aggravation. You know, just like the boxers, you know, they gotta get ready to take a hit. Yeah, they gotta get, they gotta get in hit, hit, hitting shape. You'd like to be the hitter instead of the hitty, but, uh, you know, if you, if you're out there playing, there's no place to hide, as I said. Alright. And, uh, I'll tell you what, we're looking at next year, Buffalo, New York doing a Buffalo Olympics where we where we host a hot wing eating contest and a table breaking contest and we have Phil Villapiano there hosting and I think that a great counterpart would be Mr. Conrad Dobler to judge the table breaking contest. Can you believe that uh, that both Phil and I went against each other when he was at Oakland and I was with the Cardinals or even the Saints that uh, and we played each other that he was a linebacker I had a block and we went to fisticuffs many a times and and called each other various names of you know where we were actually uh, born from it wasn't you know that we really weren't conceived by our dad or even brought up by our, uh, or <laughs> by our mother it was something else so anyway in the process uh, who would have thought that we would have become lifelong friends when we're out there trying to kill each other you know I, I remember I got him two or three times really good and, you know, and he, of course, told me what he thought about it, and I just kind of laughed at him. And then uh, he had to leave the he had to leave the field. I think he left, left the field and got a little medicine. Then he came back, and I was playing for the Saints, and there was a pass, and I kind of looked the other way, and I didn't see him. came up, and he elbowed me in the side of the head, pinched a nerve in my neck, and, and I had to go out and get a little bit of medicine. And then we got back together, and we had a running play, and we kind of locked up on each other. And I looked at him and said, listen, there's only one quarter left. Let's just try to get through it. We'll go have a couple of beers afterwards. He said, "Hey, I'm all for that." <laughs> Who is there a guy in the league that you you, you tip your hat to the deepest? Uh, not that you didn't like to go against, but was the biggest challenge when you had to defend? Oh, I loved. You know, the thing is, what's strange is I loved going against the the, the starters and and the all pros and things of that nature because what made them an all pro is the technique and style of play they had. So you could actually, you know, you can actually watch the film and dissect it, know exactly what they're going to do on whatever play you had coming up. What I hate is going against these rookies that wanted to make a name for themselves. These guys jumped around so damn much they sometimes they jump right in the middle of the play, and you're wondering what's what's just stand still so I can get a lick at lick on you. So I hated going against rookies because you never knew what the hell they were going to do. They'd make a mistake and come up smelling like a rose, you know. <laughs> They'd run around the block and end up running into the play, and you're going well. Why didn't you block? Well, he ran around the block. I, why didn't the back take it to the outside where we were supposed to take it? <laughs> you know? So I hated going against rookies and people that you know weren't on the field that much. I remember one time the the I think it was against the the Jets. The starter got hurt, and I think it was um, defensive tackle got hurt. And they brought this other guy, and it was a pass play. So I stood up for the pass. He ran by me so fast. He ran past the quarterback. I just turned around and waited for him to come back. Wow. <laughs> hey, you know, I said, man, I said, I better get, I, I, I better get my feet moving a little bit better here. This guy went by me so fast, he didn't even see the quarterback. Like I said, I just came back where the quarterback was and waited for him to come back to, towards us. Hey, listen, we're up here. You got to come back here a little bit. Come on back here, young buck. <laughs> yeah, come on back here. I, I looked at him. I said, man, I, I looked at my the quarterback, Joe Ferguson. Says, hey, listen, that guy's pretty fast. He said, yeah, I know. I saw him when he breezed. He said, I saw him when he breezed by me. I didn't know where he was going. I thought he was running off the field. <laughs> when you reflect back on on your career, was there? A, do you have a favorite coach, and uh, and why are they the favorite? 
Oh, you know, I, I think uh, Don Coryell was probably my favorite head coach uh, because he, you know, he treated us as, like men, and he he didn't think he was he was as involved in the game as we were. You know what I'm saying? And then, of course, Jim Hannafin as an offensive line coach was a fabulous offensive line coach and and really got down to teaching us the proper techniques and things that are nature to be successful. And and to tell you the truth, uh, the teams we had with Jim Hannafin as an offensive line coach and Don Coryell. As the head coach and stuff, we were very, very successful uh, at those times, and we really enjoyed. See, I never realized I was really supposed to enjoy the game. And uh, when they came in, well, we would laugh, and you know, we'd get in the huddle, and Jim Hart would say, "Hey, would you guys shut up so I can call a play?" And uh, we were kind of a uh, pretty big group, a pretty nice group of uh, players to play with, and we actually had fun. And I remember Coyle one time came up and he looked at us and he looked at Deirdre and looked at myself and looked at Tom Banks. He said, you know, you guys really like playing this game, don't you? We said, hell yeah. Yeah, especially <laughs> when we're kicking these guys' ass. <laughs> you like this. Uh, does the nastiest man to play pro football, do you have an opinion on the jersey swaps that we see now after the games? Oh, you're kidding me. They do that? <laughs> well, they could certainly afford it. If we took a pair of socks out of the locker room, they made us pay for them. Dude, I used to get their jerseys. I used to rip the jerseys off their back, but I, I never had anyone offer me one. And as a businessman, it's got to blow your mind to see how much how much the money game has changed in the league in such a short period of time. Well, you know, be be honest with you, it certainly has changed. But trust me, uh, the, the owners, you know, if you look at where the money went for the players in proportion of what we made to what they're making today, uh, you've got to understand, too, that that same proportion is towards the owners. Uh, they're making just tons and tons and tons of money, and God bless them, they got a hell of a game. And I think the reason they have a hell of a game is because the season's short. You know, it's only 16 weeks, and uh, they got the playoffs. they they got a nice product to offer people. It doesn't go on like baseball forever, where you have to win 85 games to get 80 to 90 games to even get a chance to go into the playoffs. Then you get into the playoffs, then you have the, and then you have the World Series. It goes on all the way through October. You're sitting there going, that's, yeah. that's a long season to keep the fans' interest in it. It's the Man. same way with basketball, the, the NBA. I mean, it's just such a long season that they need it that long in order to compensate what they're playing the players and what they can make in money. That the NFL has a product that, you know, they, they get in and get it done and they get the money and they're on the, they're down the road. And you can hold the fans' interest for 16, 17, 20 weeks. You can't. It's, it's difficult for 80 weeks or 90 really weeks. Really? Of a basketball really? baseball season, that's that's tough to do, and people just, you know, it, it, the economy is not good. People don't have the free time they used to have anymore. Everyone's working or or doing something with the free time they do have, and very few times you see people just saying, "Oh, I'm going to watch all the baseball games this season." Well, you know, you're looking at 162 baseball games. That's a lot of baseball. Three hours or plus each. You know, that's that's impossible. That's yeah, impossible. absolutely. Absolutely. And an American sports icon, what's a, what's a piece of advice that you would like to leave young athletes with from you? I would say it's very important, you know, and this is the most important thing. Know who to get and how to get them. <laughs> you take that through everything, folks. They know, everything, if you don't folks. know who to get, you don't have a chance of being successful. Now, if you know who to get and you go out there and he knocks you on your ass, well, that's okay because while he's knocking you on the ass, the guy with the ball might be running past him. So then all you got to get is how to get him. So if you know who to get and you have the ability to get them, hey, you got the job done. Sheesh. 
And folks, you take that into the business world too. You take that advice anywhere with you, and it'll do you well. Yeah, well. I, I, I certainly do. I, uh, you know, we do flu shots around the nation and and other inoculations for large businesses and stuff. And and you know, when my son came in, he said, "Well, how do you how do you get customers?" I said, "Well, we know who they are. It's the people that have the, a lot of employees. You know, you just call them, and you know, and you get no's. And you know, if we if we always if we got depressed after no, there'd be no." It, There'd be no babies made. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. gotta just keep, gotta keep asking to get a yes, and trust me, you'll get one. <laughs> Don't let the nose discourage you. Someone's gonna tell you yes, and you're gonna enjoy it. Absolutely, folks. Keep fishing. Keep fishing. If you're pulling up ends, you're gonna get a Y sooner or later. <laughs> I've I've actually had a person that when t- told me no, and I said thank you very much for the no. They said why would you be thanking me? As I said, because I know it's all statistics, and I'm getting closer to a yes. So the more no's I get, the closer I get to a yes. The guy says, man, I like your attitude. You can have our business. <laughs> I said, wow. Okay. That's sales, folks. Right there from 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 one of the greatest all time. <laughs> Sheesh. Oh man, Conrad! Thank you so much, man. Thank you so much for coming on and, and for your time and uh, for catching up with us. Uh, I appreciate it, sir. You you guys have a good time. I got to go Absolutely. back to work now. See, I I didn't make the money they made today. I'm still working. <laughs> yeah, well, no and no no's coming, folks. And then he makes a house call, and you don't want Conrad showing up at your doorstep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, oh, like, like I said. Like I'm in the healthcare business. I said, "How'd you get in that?" I said, "Well, I spent my earlier life putting people in the hospital. Now I'm just trying to give back to society and help them get out of the hospital." <laughs> yeah, he's, he's reaping the benefits of it. <laughs> yeah. We need more people in the hospital, man. More people need flu shots. Oh, you know, we man. want to keep them healthy. Okay, oh, my man. Okay. You have a good day. God bless you and all the other things we're supposed to say when we sign off. And uh, to all the fans listening to you, hope you all have a great day. Or oh, let's man. put it this oh, way: man. just make the day great for yourself. You can do that. You don't have to let someone else make it great. Make it great for yourself. Take greatness. Thank Ty. I like that. And Conrad, thank you so much, man. You're welcome, sir. Have a good one. A big thank you to Conrad Dobler for stopping by. And folks, that right there is episode Deuce One, twenty-one in the books. And you can catch them all at CharlieBootShow.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Don't forget, head on over to charliebootshow.com and hit all those social media links so that we're locked in on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You don't miss a beat. It's looking like the next move for me is going to be Houston and then Dallas, Texas for the draft. So I'll be bringing you guys flavors and podcasts, Texas style. Or I guess, uh, old cowboy boot style. So until then, I'll be seeing y'all cowpoke over on charliebootshow.com. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, guys, toodaloo. That's the Charlie Boots Show.